Inside the Paris Sea Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, Comedy on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app to your smartphone, stream all of live, our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. And we can't thank you enough for making us part of your Sunday. And um, yeah, I realized a long time ago that. Um, you got to get outside of yourself and basically be able to create positive change in your world and actually almost uh, block out the instantaneous madness that we are fed on a daily basis. And uh, I do it behind the microphone, interviewing guys who do it on the bandstand um, to escape the madness of, of reality and the this world, the construct that we currently live in. And uh was able to hash it out with this guy um, – in set one a few months ago and uh i don't know i just really just i think his point of view i mean he's willing to acknowledge his shortcomings uh he's trying to follow his true nature and just be the best human being he can be brian rashap welcome back to the jake feinberg show thanks man how are you doing i'm good man i just came from a dow meeting i'm a Taoist, so um you know it's a it's like a uh it's not really a religion at all. It's just kind of a way of life, and and so right. I'm just I'm still trying to fight my habitual nature and 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 seek my true nature. And this is, um, you know, definitely a, a therapeutic way to do it. But I wanted to ask you, like I was looking online for Rash App versions of Box of Rain. Are there any? <laughs> uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you don't necessarily want to have it. I was gonna say because I mean we. No, that, no, no, yeah. no. <laughs> there, I, I think I've done it twice now. Um, I think with like both times were probably with Stu, or maybe one time. God, it might have been at Terrapin, and it was one of those moments where I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's do this tonight." <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's. I just did one with Stu, like a uh, maybe the last month, I think, at one of those Ashkenaz shows, and it was the. Uh, there's so many words in that song. <laughs> it's insane. It's, it's like a Dylan tune. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. But uh, it's fun. It's there. There might be a couple out there. Uh, hopefully, there will be better ones in the future. But yeah. I mean, I just want to ask oh, you because yeah. I mean, like, uh, what? How are you trying to make it your own, though? Um, I you know I think for me, with especially these. These, the first thing is that like when you do this type of music and you do Grateful Dead stuff and you're playing in a a Grateful Dead cover band or tribute band or whatever anybody out there wants to call it um, 
I think you do have to stick to some certain rules and, and, you know, if, if it's something where we're doing this and, and we're recreating a show or, or whatnot, try and I, like, I feel like I need to maybe learn how to play and sing these songs that Phil would have done back in the day, or, or here's a Phil tune, you know, it's going to have a left turn where it should turn right and vice versa. <laughs> and, and then there's going to be these, these, words and and like his bass playing the words that end up in a song whether he's written them or or hunter wrote them or somebody else um there's always some crazy imagery and in an exploratory imagination and so i i think one way that i try to make it my own when we're doing them is to keep it fresh like for box of rain the two times that i've I've done it or, or the few times that I've done it um, I haven't studied up on it which is good because I think it keeps me in the moment but then maybe it, it it's a little weird it's a little too in the moment yeah you had too many mu- you had at- too many mushrooms you know at, at Carl's Jr. yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah. right. there's a and, lot and of lyrics yeah 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 as I'm trying to like as, you know and this is one of those instances where I'm like yeah damn straight I have a chart and I'm reading it but I end up on this page where I see what I'm supposed to sing, and and my first instinct is like that doesn't make sense. Like, right, right. right. I'm literature. No, I mean your gut. Te- your your gut tells you it doesn't make sense. Right. Exactly. So uh, you know that's one way I keep in my own is I I don't know the song in its entirety to the fullest extent I could, but you know as we've talked before, it's all about. It is. It's all about the moment and trying to to be in it. So I don't know. There, there's some a lot of these still tunes. You can't really do anything except play it down. You know, play the chart down, start to finish. Um, I think with uh, Chain, which we were just listening to, um, I, I think that's one where in those solo sections or those little jam sections, that's where you can explore. Like during a Phil song, but like Box of Rain, you got to get to the end sooner than later. Holy cow! I just I just played Unbroken Chain. That's insane. So yeah, Box of I mean Box of Rain. I mean, is there? Uh, I have to ask you straight out: Were you? You came in with San Geronimo. What kind of music was that band playing? You came into Terrapin with. Well, I, yeah, I came into Terrapin with San Geronimo. Um, San Geronimo was playing, and, and that band. There's, that's a whole other episode. I know. I mean, I, that Geron- band's ferocious. I mean, I, I've only heard a little uh, bit yeah. of them, you know? Well, and, and and I would check out... So San Geronimo basically was um, this band, Tiny Television. Uh, Jeremy D'Antonio was in that. Uh, I know Dave Zerbell was playing in there. Uh, Danny Eisenberg was playing in there. But it was really like Jeremy's band with um, Danny Luring. And that was just straight up like Americana, this really great band or great. This one album that came out was was incredible. Um, and what did you, as, what did you as, like about the album specifically? I mean, like just the uh, was it arranged like a concept album or were there just lyric? I mean, because like recording today is so whimsical. You know, it always depends yeah. on. Yeah. No, this was this that the, that the album, and I forget the name of it. Um, it was 
so stripped down and authentic and an amazing set of tunes. And, and I don't know how long at that point, how long Jeremy had been playing or writing. Um, whatever it was, I would expect somebody to have 3,000 songs to come up with those 10 songs that are incredible. Yeah, it was called like, Better it's called Better Days? Um, no, no, no. Well, that Better Days is San Geronimo. That, that's, that's a killer album. But uh, talking Tiny Television, which was pre san Television's first album. I was going to say, because, I mean, just looking at the San Geronimo, you got, that, that, that's, that, that's the name of a Butterfield tune. That's incredible. I mean, Better Days, that's the Butterfield album. So, yeah. The t- oh, the, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the San Geronimo is basically um, this band, Tiny Television, that was morphing. And that's kind of where my involvement was as this transition was happening into San Geronimo. And that was um, with the addition of Darren Nelson, who I knew back in the 90s uh, from his band Jumbo mm-hmm. that came out from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And bands that I were, was in at the time, uh, NEJC, Northern Expansion Joint Company, and Old Man Seltzer, we were playing shows with these guys. <laughs> Jumbo, so. yeah. Oh, yeah, but, no, I thought it was called Mission Statement. First album, Tiny Television, Mission Statement. And my CD player in my truck forever. I think uh, my buddy James Stafford, who plays drums with um, Hot Button Rum these days, uh, he gave me that album. We did some shows with them. It was just incredible. It, it, check out that album, and, and you'll love it. You also, I would say, check out Better Days. That album, we had a blast making that thing. That was so much fun. I mean... Um, is it fair to say that, like, um, bands you're in, you try to, as a rhythm section, you try to lay down the tracks all at the same time? And do you actually, I, I mean, I, how often is the first or second take the best take? Um, I, I think it's, I think the first and second take are, are usually pretty good but you're still really sussing out like what you should and shouldn't do really that's unbelievable because most cats would say yeah. i mean back in the day i mean think about it if you were if brian rashap was at motown in la as a bass player back in like 74 you'd be doing four show a jingle commercial record soundtrack probably up right. all night like you basically would have an hour to cut a tune you had to be you had and so people right. had to hit and so now you have the luxury of People have their own home studios. You don't have to pay for space. But then that, that lends itself to this fine balance between the raw, visceral energy vibe versus taking too many takes. And then you strip all the life out of it. You know, how do you, how do you strike that yeah. balance, you know? Well, I, you know, I think when if, if we're not getting it on the first couple takes because the song isn't complete, that's, that's – something else maybe that's okay i think a lot of times what we end up doing is is we get too into ourselves and what we're playing and try to do something really cool mm-hmm. like this is going to be this track <laughs> is going to be great and you 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 know you play you try to do something different on the guitar or the bass or the drums you do a stupid fill it, it, it's something where by that third take you've gotten the jitters out of either the session or that song and you're like okay now now i'm going to do what I should have done an hour ago and you know you apologize to yourself so I think a lot of times um, I I think the magic in the first couple takes is really important to pay attention to 
Um, and I think the, the, the tricks or the trying to make something more interesting in the first couple takes is a bad idea. Just, <laughs> Him. just interesting. play the tune and, 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 or, or respect the tune and respect the songwriting that went into it and what, uh, what really turned you on uh, to that song the first time you heard it. The first time your buddy plays you a song and you're like, oh, that's incredible. That's, that's, I, I love it. Let's record it. That's really not the same as going, wow, that's a cool tune. I, I love what I think in my head I could do for that song. That's not what, then you've already lost it and you're going to have too many takes to get through. Uh, can you uh, personalize it from a, from an actual practical experience in the studio that you had where you, where that played out? Uh, I would think, I mean, I haven't recorded in a while at this point, but. I mean, but you've, been, I mean um, you've been on a bunch of records. I mean, I'm just saying go back to a time yeah. where it was like, you know, where you just said, you said, I like the vision that I could of that song, you know, where the third was there. There's, a, yeah, a, there's, there's a, this band that I was in a long time ago called uh, Lil Shaggy. And we went into this really cool recording facility up here called uh, Prairie Sun Recording in Katati. Uh, Tom Waits has recorded there a, a bunch of stuff. Everybody has. I think Shrapnel Records used to record <laughs> there back in the 80s, which I love it. gives I love you a it. hint yeah. Of, yeah. of where my musical being was. No, it's just a head place. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Reaper X, Paul Gilbert, baby. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we're in this great place, and this band – was like this eclectic mix of of just uh uh music school students you know some of us were at sonoma state some of us were, you know one of the lead singer guy was like a, a clown juggler type fixture uh and Chris went to wavy gravy's camp and all this stuff oh yeah cool dude. went a rainbow yeah, and sick. yeah yeah, yeah. went a rainbow exactly sick. and uh and we were young and we went into the studio that we, you know, you get one of those like weekend specials where it's like, try as much stuff as you can in three days for 800 bucks. And most of it. And um, live, we were trying to add in all our tricks that, that you would try to do. And it just wasn't cutting it. And I mean, this was a time actually that we were recording to, to tape. We were, you know, it was full analog. And we went in to do, a, a take for one song that we usually live played uh, as a part of a, a, a like a trio of songs. We we did this um, these three songs together live all the time. When we went in the studio and we were doing this, we were just going to cut this first track of those three songs, and we really played the first song. We played the song. We didn't play our instruments right we we were really into the tune and we were right. we were being mature with it and we get to the end of that first song and you know in my memory i think we all looked up at each other and nodded but that's probably just ego saying that we we probably just kept somehow going into that second song of this this trio of tunes and it was like whoa this is this is the song we're actually playing the song even though we're doing we're, we're, we're taking it a step further and of course at the end of that second song it went into the third song which is like the culmination and you know everybody's ramped up and it's a big blowout and we ended up I think with like 11 seconds of tape left 
at the at the end of that third tune, which is incredible. So it was, it's kind of an example of like one not showing off when you're trying to get the 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 tracks or or get a good take, but then two of being open um, and prepared to make it all the way through some epic thing. And and it's not your playing that's epic. What's epic is the fact that the five of you live just did this without talking it through, without making it a big thing and without trying to out ego each other. Um, wow. I mean, you just described what I saw in, in Mesa. I mean, it's just the aesthetic of the, um, the significance of music as a language in the motherland of Africa where, I mean, versus more Western pedagogy where it's like, there's just a lot of verbalizing. And like you said, the ego drives that. Because I saw Kenny, right. I saw Kenny Barron, Ron Carter, and Billy Cobham. They were up uh, doing the art of the rhythm section, and I, I was chronicling it. And uh, there were all these techs up on the stage, like, "Oh, Mr. Barron, do you need more sound? Do you need this? Do you need that?" And they right. didn't, they they didn't say a word, and and they just started to play. And within yeah. within like 15, 20 seconds, the entire stage was clear. And then after they played, they were like, "Yeah, I could use a little more of this or a little." But the point is that yeah, there right. was no there was no hemming and hawing. You just you guys just just cut it, and it was the real deal. Yeah, we we it's funny we um we kind of did that yesterday. Uh, we uh, there's a the Petaluma Music Festival, which is this um. God, I think this was the fourteenth year that it's going on, uh, raising money for schools in Petaluma, um, and they put on this festival every year. And, and yesterday, uh, we played, and Ho, uh, our, uh, Ho flew up in the morning, and we didn't really see each other, hang out too much before the show. Uh, Greg got there, we didn't really see each other, hang out too much, and everybody just kind of showed up. And with minimal talking and really going over making up a set, right. we kind of <laughs> just got up on stage. Um, I was actually, I hand wrote out two of the set lists that we, we needed while I was standing on stage getting, waiting to start our set. So it was, it was that type of a show yesterday. And it was a blast. And the set we did, you know, songs that we've been playing a bit and getting um, kind of me up to speed on, I guess. Uh, we were in completely strange orders for us and we had a blast. Um, and it was, it was that barely talking beforehand, barely trying to think through what we were going to do that I think adds itself to stuff. Oh, like dude, this is, dude, you're going into the primordial gut, as John Molo says, you know, you're not worrying, you're, right. not, you're not in your head, you've already dropped to your gut, you know? Exactly. Um, I love Molo. Molo's freaking great. greatest cat ever, dude. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, we, I, yeah. we got a little hanged up yesterday, which was good. I thought <laughs> yeah, so um, again, we're, uh, we have a game for the audience listening worldwide. We have a game on this program called Name That Voice. I'm going to put this in for you, um, and then uh, we'll come back and reflect on it. Okay. Not necessarily. In the British Skiffle tradition, there's a huge connection to what Cass McCombs believes and does with his life's work and his body of work, especially when we first got together and he provided as on the first record, 100% of the material, that he also was curating, not just songs with cool stories, but that we were, we had that blood in us. We were, we're, we're the living witness to the American river of song 
And when we play a song like that, we mean it, man. And I think that the, the idea of the skiffle in that respect might even be traced back from England, back to America in another level when songs were your Instagram or your story that you, where you'd figure out what was happening lately, you know? A murder ballad wasn't just like, you know, kitchen sink drama. It was a way of telling a story and committing it to human memory. So I think we like the idea that the skiffle is something that like a kind of like a strange stepchild it appears it continues and in our case we claimed it and it claimed us conversely you want to take a guess at who that is uh, it kind of sounds like mike campbell but <laughs> okay so um that was that was farmer dave sure have you ever met oh, okay. have you met farmer dave i have we've played together we did a thing, I think, with Ross James once or twice. Super cool cabin. It, well, no, he Trippy was... Trippy player as hell. Well, I mean, just, I'm, it's so great. I'm so glad you guys have collaborated because he's a dear friend. <clears throat> that was from my interview with him from July of 2018. But he was... It dropped out for a minute. But he was talking about Cass McCombs and the, this, oh, okay. this River of American song. And I wanted you to relate it to um, all the cats and, and the mother hips and kind of just riff on what he was talking about and if, if there was anything analogous uh, to the, to the mother hips. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I know that if, if there's no right or wrong answers, there's of, no right or wrong. answers. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think, you know, I know that with, uh, especially a bunch of, of Tim's lyrics, Tim just reads books. He loves reading books. So he gets a lot of these, these characters that show up in his lyrics and his songs mm -hmm. um, from a different time. I mean, it, it's not present day storytelling. It's present day storytelling, but the, the stories are not present day. They are, they are from a time forgotten or, or, or a long time ago. Usually <laughs> wow. I would say um, frontier time like like you know? uh lewis and clark kind of stuff or or even yeah like explorers like right like searching you know um, but we weren't built up i mean it was still like a rural frontier of, yeah, of this country discovering america yeah, discovering I, america I there you, you go say. um and i think that's probably a real big connection to to the type of uh songwriters that that he likes to listen to or or he and greg listen to i mean you you check out the everly brothers those guys love the everly brothers and it's it's from a while ago it's stuff that uh <laughs> it it would be interesting to see to have an, a, a 2019 everly brothers song and like where it would actually be wow and where it would sit um which you know i think it 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 goes back to, I don't know if I could relate it to a skiffle, um, but it's a different time. I, you know, um, I was over at uh, Mollusk Surf Shop uh, in Silver Lake, um, and uh, Dan Horn was playing, and he, we were talking before the gig, and he was like, Cass doesn't listen to music. Cass McCombs, not, not improvisation, yeah. but he doesn't listen to lyrics. He doesn't want to be influenced by the lyrics. And sure. so I'm wondering with Tim, like, 
um, he obviously voraciously is reading about this lost time of, of the uh, discovering America, but um, I w that was just so revelatory to me, you know, and, and I know, and just the idea of not wanting to be influenced, is, is Tim like that too? Uh, I don't know if he's, if he's like that. I mean, he's definitely, um, they, you know, Tim and Greg, they both love music. They, they, they cherish it. They, they do listen to it. Um, how much, you know, Tim listens to music these days. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he really listens, you know, our, uh, uh, God, what would the word be? They're, popular culture they i think they suck it up i think they they eat it up um i know tim i, I know some of their musical tastes are things that you just wouldn't think of wow um or even movie taster you know and like oh there's no way that guy could watch this and you're like no that's one of his favorite movies so <laughs> um but oh, you know I, I think that's not i think the thing might be that they're just they're able to not be um, uh, influenced by what they're hearing it, to a bad degree, especially lyrically. Um, both those guys, Tim and Greg, the lyrics that they write are, are amazing. They're incredible. Is, uh, how many got cats in that band? I guess the thing about Skiffle, like um, just the word itself connotates what I like to refer to as street scholars. And like, I know you went, Sure. You know, I mean, like, how how, how th theory based, like, is the, are the mother hips or like, because like is like Loy Icano, he is he a straight street scholar? Like, how, how many of the cats have like formal music education, or how many actually learn by ear? Um, I I know that their story. Well, I, I would say both. I know that Hope started Hope John Hope the drummer. Yeah. Um, he started playing music, you know, very young age. Um, his older brothers um, were, I think it's one of his older brothers is a jazz bassist, but like 10 years his senior. So it's stuff where he had an older brother telling him how to play. And then his older brother's friends and, and, and the gigs that he was on taking his, you know, 15 year old little brother, John to play drums and wow. that really um, that's an apprenticeship that really that's an, an apprenticeship right yeah, there yeah. totally and put in it, uh, an idea into his head of how you play the drums how you hit the drums what, what matters and what makes it the most don't ever slow down don't ever lose this side of the end of the song keep it and you're exhausted keep going um, so yeah, that's an apprenticeship, which for me kind of really rides that line between street smart and and scholarly. Um, I know that uh, with Tim and Greg, they had this symbiotic relationship when they met um, in college, where it was something where Tim taught Greg or or, or helped Greg realize how uh, to sing, and and I think maybe how to to write uh, chordal harmony hmm. um, and I know that Greg really showed Tim cool things to do on the guitar and how to play guitar better or whatnot Symbi um, symbiotic so, perfectly uh, so and that and what what school was that at that was Chico State 
that was I think the late eighties Chico State, like wow. eighty nine, ninety. Um yeah, I think the hips started in ninety one. Exactly. No, I mean that uh, I guess um you know as it relates to like your own songwriting, like or no, here's the here's the important thing about the ear training is if you're self-taught, obviously education is good, but if it's the first thing, if you're taught to play music by reading music, then your ears will be locked. You have to learn by ear. So, I mean, everybody might have a mix of it, but how many of you guys were basically cats that, like, maybe you had some lessons, but I mean, basically, sure. you figured it out. Because I mean, I've talked to all the jazzers, you know, and they're, they're, they're students. Their ears are locked because they right. learned how to play music by reading it. Okay, and not by right. and not by hearing it or p learning how to play it in every key. Um, so I feel like everybody in that band, even though it's not, you know, I mean, it's not like the Zappa Orchestra by any means or anything like that. But right. it's like, it, it, I mean, everybody there has like a. They it all seems like they're ear they they have their own. They just go to the beat. They have their own internal time field. They're not on the metronome. That's all I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah, well, and I would say with us, it's something where, um, it, I don't know, there, there's, I would say we're all heart players as opposed to book players. You know, I think that's that's really it. It's, it and it's, it, it, I think it's evident in on the stage. I, you know, I'm, I'm so honored to be playing in this band. Before I was playing in this band, before I, I, there, that was even a, a thought, uh, watching them, and even before Hofer joined, when when Mike Wolfchuk was in the band and um, Ike played bass, when they were, you know, the first six years of the band, watching this uh, this breathing blob pouring off of a sta the stage <laughs> was insane. That's I mean that's the thing that really caught me is that. Here it was this group of people that I feel they all took the little, you know, the buck knife and put a little cut on their palm and said, "Here you go." And everybody shook hands. Right. And they're like, "Okay, we're now we're now one. There's there's nothing that this we can't do." And that was that was the mother hip. That was the first time I, I saw them. You saw that. Um, you heard it. And you certainly felt it. And you felt it with everybody else in the audience as well. It, when these time changes would happen, which um, is funny to think that they never even thought about it back then. It was just how they It was breathed. totally it was organic. It was totally organic. Totally it was breathing. Organic. It was breathe. The music was breathing. That, that music has yeah. to breathe. That's it. And they were. And the and, audience yeah. did it too. The, the audience was a part of that. I, I think. Um, I remember feeling it. I remember my friends feeling it and, and just being blown away by this, this thing. I think that, that would be a pretty uh, amazing interview to talk to a bunch of their fans that have been along for the ride. Yeah. About what, what they do. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's something I think for the mother hips, a lot of it was the ear and then that led them to, needing more wanting more I, I need to know more about this instrument i need to know more why these chords work together in this one way and why these chords the same chords work together in a completely different way if i choose to start singing on a different note um so i think 
that the schooling came afterwards the 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 book learning yeah no no they had an insatiable appetite to learn like you know i'm like like be be book smart like figure this stuff out on their own be problem solvers be industrious and then some of them were like you know like harmonic stuff or whatever i mean yeah you know there's you can read books or you know i just to me it's like that's what i'm trying to find with my generation is just the hard players obviously you don't want to be yeah. like you know just like repeating yourself or wanking it but you know the obviously like somebody who got cats that are playing from the head down to the to the primordial gut you know that's it yeah yeah well i mean were, uh, have you do you feel that that your intentions for music have always been the same i only ask because you were you were playing music a ton when you were when you had the your other gig and i don't know exactly know how you pulled all that off but i'm just like <laughs> like now it's like well you know now you're pretty much you know immersed in music from all spectrums and so i i just wonder if the significance of music has changed you know some some cats would say you know like I, I've always wanted to touch people's hearts, you know I mean? But like you were like, yeah. I, I'm just curious if, if it's always been the same for you. Um, you know, I, I think it has been, I think, but what's always been the same is a, a love for music, a love for art. Um, I've always, you know, my parents raised me um, with going to museums and going to um, musicals, going to plays, going to regular theater, um, always being a part of or trying to help me be a part of things that I might be interested in um, at a young age. Uh, and it's something that, we're, I mean, we're all artists. Every human is an artist. Mm-hmm. It's in there. Some people choose not to see it that way, and some people choose to embrace it. I, th- I think I chose to embrace it. I think I chose to embrace it at a pretty early age. Um, I, I think the being on stage uh, in front of an audience or having people look at me or us, it, it, it's I need... I need the music. If I was not doing this and I had a, a nine to five, 40, 50 hour a week job, mm-hmm. I would still need this. I know I did that for so long and I'm so glad I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, no, I mean, but it's like, I mean, that was, and you're, you, you had like a steady gig, but I guess, was it like, I don't know. So continue. I didn't mean to, I didn't interrupt the stream there. No, what, what I was going to say is that I, I, I've always known that I need that in my life. I need, you know, two, three, four, five humans in the same room as me, and we're all trying to do one thing. Um, the the that that has ne- never faded from my mind of what I needed in my life. Um, I think it's something where that's a part of what I think of as family. That's, that's just it. I mean, there's uh, being able to do that or having that 
um, is something that I'm not happy without that. I can't, I can't live without that. I need that. Um, and it's just an extension of what I feel family is and, and, and what I think, uh, I need people around me to feel too. I mean, there's, there's, there's things that, um, come in and out of my life or ideas or things that I get into and I want to do this, but music has always been, uh, you know, number two, number one is, is my family. Number two is my musical family. And that switches sometimes back and forth depending on the day. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's super important to me. I've always needed it. I've always known I've needed it. And, um, more than grateful that I'm allowed to have that now. So, Talking to Brian Rashap here on the Jake Feinberg Show. Um, blowing away the Sunday blues. Um, let me ask you, uh, um, like, did you, I just, I, I transcribed this 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 back end of the, my interview with, with John Grayboff, and, and he was one of the cats that, I mean, Phil called him up on, he was on tour with Shooter Jennings, and Phil called him yeah. up and said, listen, you know, um, I don't really know exactly what's going on, but we're, we're starting to rev things up music wise. And, and I need you to come out here. I'll put you up for three weeks and, um, you know, and, and you're going to live, eat and breathe music. Uh, and you're going to, you know, it, we're going to have a ball and Grayball had never worked with Phil. Um, he had, shooter was totally cool. And right. Grayball said, you know, for the first time in his life, like he, for the first time since he was 17, uh, he was doing music full time all the time, and I'm like, well, wh where was Ra was Rash at part of? Because that sounds like the initial group, like that was the 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 the, the Cutters, the Lucifers, and I'm just like, what? Where were you at at that time? Because the way the picture he paints is that Phil was playing every night for like you know every day of the week, and Grayboff was like you know hop in the shower, get the set list, get the charts together, and and then they just were just basically playing on the fly. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, so you're talking about the beginning days of Terrapin. Well, because like, yeah, what I'm trying to figure out is like he seems like I don't know what that three weeks exactly meant, but I mean, were you part of that rotating cast of people that were in there in that milieu early on? Because he did tell me he's like there were people like you know Phil was just throwing checking people out, seeing which guys sp spun his wheels, but obviously it was an experimental sure. thing. Um, I wasn't a part of the great room stuff um, at that point. And I've, my, my extent of playing in, um, in the great room or with Phil is, is pretty small considering we're both bass players. I'll, I'll play, you know, some guitar, acoustic guitar um, when he, when he sits in or, or if it's needed. But for me, um, my thing was really in the bar once I, I played there, as you mentioned earlier, like San Geronimo, I think was the first time I played a Terrapin. Um, and then the second time I think was with Acacia, which became Go By Ocean. Um, hmm. And for some reason at that point, I started playing in the bars just, you know, I was the guy, you know, I was one of the guys that would help make that three-week stint of Greyboss stick around like, Hey, you know, we're not going to do anything in the gray room for these days, but we're going to put together a band for, for you to play with in the bar. And so 
we were probably the bar bands were probably the like the little bit of time off for, for these guys uh <laughs> hold on you, you were great. telling you were telling phil that you were going to get bands ready to play with him in the bar is that what i heard no no no. like they were telling people like grave off like you know yeah uh while you're here for three weeks or something there'll be shows in the uh oh in the bar yeah in the gray room yeah, yeah, okay. every weekend yeah. but during the week you play in the bar <laughs> you know? um which was great i mean i one of the gigs i did with Greyboff, i think it was it was him uh Kassal, myself and whoa I, I don't remember the drummer but maybe a drummer and, and then a guitar, uh, keyboardist as well just an amazing and completely thrown together like no time to cut out there a little bit 